angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is in Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was an there was with the angel with there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from from them into heaven, the shepherds say to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made made known to us.
Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Our next reading is from John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stand condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The next reading is from Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The final reading is from John 2, verses 1 through 3 and 6 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Nearby stood six stones, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God. Please remain standing and join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for the salvation you provide us through our son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will be with your preacher today as he delivers your word to us. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So good to be with you all this morning. Merry Christmas. How many people have ever been to a wedding where people have had too much wine? (laughs) Um, Christians all across the world have been celebrating Advent. And if you notice, we have our Advent wreath here. It simply reflects on the arrival of Christ. That's what the word Advent means. The arrival of Jesus Christ, that is birth specifically. 
And we celebrate it for four weeks, and in those four weeks, the four Sundays before Christmas Eve, we reflect on that the advent of Christ is the advent of hope, of love, of joy, and of peace. I know our modern minds might not allow us to really ascribe any supernatural significance to the birth of Christ. It's just, I think, the way many of us think nowadays. But the Bible doesn't hide the identity of Christ in some mysterious shroud. It makes no mistake about who he is and who Jesus is. It's clear in Scripture. Christ is the creator. Christ is God in the flesh. He's the word which was in the beginning. He's the one by which all things have come into existence. The Bible is very clear about who at least the authors think Jesus is. The scriptures don't hold Jesus to to be simply some enlightened teacher or some superbly moral leader. He was both of those things, but the, the scriptures hold him to be so much more than that. The child in the manger was so much more. And that's why we're here today. That's why, why Christians all across the world come to celebrate the birth of Christ. Not because he was just like a good dude or he was really smart. It's because he was more than that. And I want to talk about that with you tonight just for a brief moment. Paul, the apostle, says of Christ, he was in, the ver- he was in very nature God. Being in very nature God, imagine that. He made himself in human likeness. So Jesus Christ, according to the Apostle Paul, isn't just a baby born like any other baby born, but he was actually God who became a man for us. That's what Paul says. The advent, this is his advent, this is his coming. That's what advent means, his arrival. Now the past four weeks, like I said, we've discussed why did God become a man that this is the advent of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love. And for the next 15 minutes or so, it's going to be a shorter sermon than, than I normally preach for you, because uh, I know we all have lots of parties to go to and family to see. So I'm not going to be quite as long today. So, but my hope is in the next 15 minutes or so that you're going to come to know why the child born in a manger can be all of those things for you tonight. He can be your hope, he can be your peace, he can be your love, he can be your joy, he can be all of those things. Now unless we understand, some of you might think a little bit odd, why did he pick the first miracle of Jesus, turning water into wine, for a Christmas service? Does that have anything to do with Christmas at all? It was 30 years after the fact, as a matter of fact, that Jesus actually did this. But unless we understand that miracle... That miracle is very profound, and unless we understand it, turning water into wine, the, sig- the significance of the birth of Christ is just going to go way over our heads. We're going to mi- miss it completely. Now, you might think it odd as well, if you've already noted from the, the scripture reading, turning water into wine was the first miracle Jesus ever performed. Before he gave sight to the blind, or gave hearing to the deaf, or Um, the ability to walk to those who were lame, he turned water to wine. That was his introduction to the world as the Messiah, as the God-man. Now, if you've, you've heard of Jesus, right? How many people have heard of Jesus? Good. You've heard of Jesus. We right, likely recall him doing all of these miraculous things for blind people, cast, um, giving sight to the blind, casting out demons, even raising the dead, compassionate, humanitarian, like supernatural displays of power, right? But here, Jesus' first miracle is none of this. He's relieved no one's suffering. He's eased no one's pain. 
Those poor crippled folk, those sick and impoverished souls, have to wait a little while because Jesus is busy turning water into wine. Jesus is busy reviving a dying party. <laughs> Jesus, the Lord of the party. Isn't that interesting? Jesus' intention in doing this was not to just save the host from embarrassment, oops, I ran out of wine, or to keep the crowd happy so that they won't leave and crash another wedding, <laughs> right? Verse 11 tells us why Jesus did this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, underline that, first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This was a sign to reveal his glory. Now it's interesting that the word sign is used here instead of miracle. The other, the other gospel writers, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't use the same word for Jesus' miracles. Their word usually more displays his power. But th this is a sign. And if you guys know, it's a very simple word to understand. It's meant to point us to something else besides the miracle. In other words, there's a, an allegory, there's a lesson to be learned by this activity. And it's very profound, and it gives us great meaning to the birth of Christ. It's symbolic. The water to wine is an illustration, an allegory for something else. It points to three things, and this is what we're going to talk about really quickly. Who he is, what is his purpose, and how he accomplished it. Who he is, what is his purpose, and how he accomplished it. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. That's why he did this. He was showing us and everyone around him that he is the bridegroom. That that day at that wedding, there was a bride and there was a bridegroom, but Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. He is the creator of all things. All things belong to him, and he has created mankind. Imagine this. All of that means you and I. He has created us to be united to him in the covenant of marriage. Paul in Ephesians 5 says this is mysterious and if your head's spinning right now, you're going to be, if you've trusted by faith in Jesus Christ that you're going to be married to Jesus, that might sound strange and it should sound strange. It sounded strange to the Apostle Paul because he said this is a mystery because it's not like our kind of marriage, but it is like it in a sense. You see, all of the, the love that we want for, for each other the, the desire that we, had to be, to, that we have to be united to each other, that's in us because God created us to be united to him, the bridegroom. You see? He is the bridegroom. Matthew 25, this profound passage. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. You see that? We're like these ten virgins going to meet the bridegroom, the kingdom of heaven. At, at the midnight cry, it rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The bridegroom arrived, the, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Ephesians 5, you guys probably have heard this, at any Christian wedding you've ever gone to, you've probably heard this passage read. read. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself 
as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or without any blemish, but holy and blameless. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Friends, the reason you have a burning passion to be united in love to each other, to a man, to a, to a woman, is because you were created by that, you were created like that by our God to be united to him. The advent of Christ is the advent of the bridegroom, you see? It's the coming of our greatest love. It's the coming of our greatest friend, of our greatest union. That's who he is. The, the, the God we serve simply just doesn't supply us with the stuff of life to get on with experience, experiencing happiness through it. You see what I mean? The profound mystery is that the creator shall be wed to his people. The bridegroom shall be wed, wed to his church. The God we serve simply just doesn't give us, doesn't create us and say, here's some stuff, I hope that you're happy with it. There's so much more to that. All the stuff of life, including love, including marriage, including the, all the things that we enjoy, all of that stuff is like his wedding present to us, isn't it? It's a display of his affection. And it's in his care, it's meant to stir up in us a greater affection for him, the bridegroom. So as we delight in the beauty of a wonderful like sunset or art or anything like this, we enjoy our work or our friendships, it should point us to the fact that God is good and he has given us those things so that we would delight in him most. You see, the advent of Christ is the advent of the bridegroom. And it leads us naturally to the, to the second illustration to which this marvelous um, to, to this miraculous sign points, his purpose. What is the bridegroom's purpose, his intention? What does he intend on doing as the bridegroom? Well, the answer should be obvious. If the creator king, the God of the universe, is the bridegroom, his purpose in being such is to be wed, married to his people. Amen? We should expect that at the end of time, that there's going to be a grand gala, a celebration, unlike any other celebration we've ever experienced in our lives. The celebration of the marriage feast, of the supper of the lamb, the marriage of the bride of the church to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. There is a festival that we are headed towards as his people. And friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that you would, be, you would join the festival, become part of, become his bride. Because the festival is coming, it's waiting for us. There is a celestial banquet, a celebration, a great feast. Now whether or not you are a Christian, you've know, I, I bet you've recognized the tensions of life, haven't you? That something is missing. You know this. Things are not as they should be. They're incomplete. You know, moms and dads should love their kids, shouldn't they? But oftentimes they don't. Oftentimes they get abandoned or abused. Isn't that true? I'm sure that in a group this size tonight, that there's some of us that that was our sad experience. We know that these things shouldn't be. See, that's the tension of what things should be, and they're not that way. There's this tension. Husbands and wives should cherish each other, but oftentimes they despise each other, don't they? Humankind should live in harmony, but instead we fight and we war and we kill each other. Now as mysterious as the presence of this incompletion, this evil world that we live in, can be, it's so mysterious, isn't it? 
Christianity knows Jesus to be the consummator. The bridegroom is returning to heal it, to bring it back to the order that we expected it to be in to begin with. You see? He resolves the tension of, of these plots of life. He's the powerful king, the bridegroom, that sees from heaven who is returning to marry his bride. And, I, and as broken as you might be this, tonight, whatever it is that you're experiencing, whatever loss you've experienced, whatever fear that's in your heart or anxiety that's in your heart, when you come to trust in Christ, know this, the bridegroom is coming with a celebration for you. And because of that, the Christian has nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. He's the powerful king, the bridegroom. He sees from heaven. He's going to put an end to all evil, marry his bride, and restore this world. That's the celebration. That's the feast. That's what we're heading towards. And he's going to consummate all of the mysteries of life, all of the confusions, all of the heartbreaks. The Bible records this future day with such um, vivid language. This coming banquet, Isaiah chapter 11, listen to this. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The young child will put its hand into the viper's den. They will neither harm nor destroy, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord at this coming banquet. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He will judge the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, will judge between the nations. And this is what they'll do. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This is not a hoop dream, friends. This is not just some kind of like magical wish that we all, we all hope Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He is who he says he is, and when he says he's the bridegroom and that he's going to restore this order to the earth and marry his people, that that's our hope, that's our end. This, the, the celebration is coming, friends. It's coming. Revelation chapter 19, then I heard the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Revelation chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven. You all know this. It was read at the last scene of Titanic. Come on, you got this one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. It's all gone. I saw the, the what did I see? The bride, beautifully dressed for her husbands. All people that have called out in faith and trust in Jesus Christ, forgiven of their sins, dressed in this fine linen. Here comes the bride beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people. The bride and the bridegroom have been united. The bridegroom. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling place is among people. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Amen? It's coming, friends. The celebration. The water's going to get transformed to wine and we'll celebrate with the bridegroom. The, friends, the advent of Christ is the advent of the bridegroom. It is the advent of the coming banquet reserved for his people. Praise God.
But how does he do this? How does the bridegroom pull this off? Because we all know that we're not good. We're not dressed in white garments. We're not pure. We're not innocent. Ephesians 5 tells us plainly, we'll get to that in a moment. God's purpose in sending Christ, the advent of Christ, the birth of Jesus, is to bring his people and his creation to the wedding table. He's bringing it to the wedding table. We see clearly how he intends to do this. Thirdly, how this is accomplished. First, he does this as a suffering substitute. And second, through his transformative power. Let me explain this for a moment. He's a suffering substitute. When Jesus' mother Mary noticed that the wine had run out, she implored Jesus to act, who then replied, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now this reads really rude in the English, but actually in the, in the Greek, it's a very polite word. It's more like ma'am or madam. So let's, let's not trip over that. He says, love, almost like dear, dear madam. See it like this. My hour has not yet come. And what is Jesus referring to? He's referring to the hour of testing. John 12, 23 makes that clear. There's an hour of testing, his hour in which he would drink the cup of suffering, which was through his death on the cross. And why did Jesus do this? To be a great example of how we should kind of face the sufferings of life with courage? Well, maybe we can get that out of that. I think, I think we can learn that. But there's so much more to the death of Christ than simply that. Ephesians chapter 5 makes it clear. Why did Jesus suffer on the cross? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Friends, the bride of Christ is without sin. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus Christ did this. He took our suffering he took the death that we deserved because of our sin. He died for it, and he makes us white as snow. He clothes us in robes of righteousness. He prepares us as his bride to be presented to himself at that celestial banquet. Amen? Amen. So he is suffering in our place for us. Jesus endures the cross to satisfy the wrath of God for our sin, making those who trust in him right with him. Amen? There is no wedding if the bride is not first rescued. We need to be rescued. The bridegroom would first need to fill the wedding cup with his own blood if we were ever to taste of his union. But that's not all. That's not the only means to the end. That's not the only way in which he accomplishes the the. the the gathering at the banquet. The other way is his tr through his transformative power. His death and resurrection alone does not bring any of us to the wedding feast. Because we could just kind of argue, well, great, Jesus died, took on the sin. Everyone in the earth, I guess, is going to be at this thing. That's not what Scripture says, though. We need all of us tonight, tonight, to taste this wine. You see, friends, this moment, we need to be touched by his transformative power. The nature of this sign is clear, that Jesus has come to bring about the conversion of our hearts. He has come to 
to touch your watery heart and transform it into wine. And transform it into someone, to something that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts him completely. We need our hearts to be changed tonight. The guests at the wedding, if you notice this in the story, they had already been drinking the wine. They had already been tasting the wine. But the best wine was reserved to the end. Isn't that such a great illustration of the Christian life? In the Christian life, when our eyes have come to know that Jesus is Lord, we're tasting of his goodness, of his wine. But there's a better wine to come, isn't there? So when we, shed, when we shed this flesh, when we take on immortality, Paul says, we'll drink of the fullness of Christ in a way which we never knew it now. You see, for the Christian, there is a better wine ahead of us. But friends, we first need to be transformed. Our heart needs to be miraculously converted to Jesus Christ. All of us need to taste of the wine of Christ this moment. What's sad but clear in Scripture is that some are going to miss the bridegroom. You might, have heard, you might have heard that in Isaiah. Let me remind you, or Matthew rather. At midnight the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, the bridegroom has come. Come out to meet him. And the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. But there were virgins that weren't ready. That Later others came also. The door had already been shut. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And in John 3, it makes it clear, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his work of redemption for you, for your sins to be completely washed away and to be entered into the the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? You must taste and see that the Lord is good this moment if you're going to taste the better wine when he comes. For those that thirst the bridegroom, did you see this? For those that thirst, the bridegroom has come to change his people, to change this world. That's the, the transforming power of his touch. When the master touches the water, it can't help but blush. And friends... If the master is touching your heart and it's blushing tonight, you are becoming his bride. See? The king, the creator, the bridegroom, for some will transform our Christless water into the wine of eternal life. The richness and fullness, the consummation of all mysteries and all confusion. The one that you've been waiting for is calling. Why don't you come to him? Come to him tonight. To the thirsty I will give water, Revelation, remember, to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Are you thirsty? At the master's voice, do you hear, does your heart, is your heart blushing? Is it ter- tr- being transformed from water to wine? Is the Lord convicting of you of sin, but then comforting you with his grace that he's forgiven you entirely? He's calling you, That's, that means he's calling you to be his bride. Come and be wed. Friends, listen. You've been dreaming of him your whole life. You just don't realize it yet if you don't know him. You see, maybe I've been dreaming of a man or I've been dreaming of a woman, you know, whatever. You know, I want to be great. I want to be powerful. I want to be significant. I want my life to matter. I just want to be peaceful or happy. All these different things that are in you are in you because God created you to enjoy those things with him. And we don't see that. So so we pick the created thing to satisfy us over the creator. And he offers you to come to, he he asks you to come to him tonight. 
be wet. You've been waiting. You've been dreaming of him your whole life. He is your affirmation. He's your approval. He's your completion. He's your forgiveness. He makes you right. He's your celebration. He's your party. He's your glory. He's your victory. Come get it from him. Put your faith in the God man. God made flesh to die for your sin, to be wed to you. You know, don't, don't just, wine, okay, I'm going to get real. Wine's better than water, right? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry for some of you might have been offended by that. Let's just be real. That's kind of the illustration here. In, in, in the New Testament, wine's better than water, right? But so often, that's the, the profound illustration in this, is we settle for something lesser than God. You can have your life transformed. Put your faith in him. Don't settle for the tepid water of this present world and refuse to drink the better wine with your bridegroom in the heavens to come. Amen? The advent of Christ is the advent of eternal life. The advent of Christ is the advent of eternal life. The advent of an assured consummation and reunion with your God, with your maker, with your bridegroom. Praise God. That's all. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the advent of Jesus Christ. That that baby lying in the manger was here to die for us. And the reason he wanted to die for us is that because he knew that there was a great wedding celebration prepared for us in the world to come. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that you love us like this. You love us so completely, so holy, so wonderfully. Oh, God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us in our sin. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know Jesus Christ, would you just repent of your sin right now? There is a bridegroom waiting for you. Trust in him. Believe in him. Blush at his touch. He loves you. Come to Jesus Christ. You won't be disappointed. Any person sitting in this room, hearing this message, hear the word of God, friend, that God loves you and desires you to come to him. Would you turn from your sin, trust in Jesus Christ, and embrace the rest of your life? Oh, friend, if you've done that, would you just come rejoice with me after church service? Pray with me. God, we love you so much. We thank you, God, that you've do, you're doing profound things in our midst. We just continue to praise you through worship. In Jesus' name, amen.